Association, and he said, based on your prayer life, where is America headed? We say we pray for our country, but do we really pray? Every election seems to be more dire than the last. (laughs) And we're in this election year. If there's ever a time for us as God's people to pray, it's now (laughs) to pray for our country. And uh, so often we talk about prayer, but we don't pray. And uh, certainly we need to be praying for our country. And the answer is not in the White House. The answer is not in the U.S. Capitol. The answer is not in the State House. Uh, It's really, it's with Christ, but it's in the church house. And uh, and if uh, we see revival, you know, it's going to start, I believe, with God's people. And and, uh, certainly we need to get to that place of prayer. Um, I want to take just a few moments here. And uh, I wasn't planning on this meeting of having these just a brief time of prayer, but I just sense the Lord again directing me tonight. We're going to look at Isaiah 66. You can turn there. Uh, I don't want to be too long in this, but Isaiah chapter 66, thinking about, uh, of course, God. He sits upon the throne, and we do trust in God. Uh, That's, of course, our country's motto is, in God we trust. And if there's anyone that ought to have their trust in God, it ought to be us who know Christ is our Savior. We see in Isaiah chapter 66, in verse number 1, Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the place that ye build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look. I want God's attention upon us this week. I want God's attention upon my life. And he says, to this man will I look. What kind of a man or a person does God look to? Even to him that is of a poor and contrite spirit, and then notice this last part, and trembleth at my word. When's the last time you trembled at God's word? That you saw the seriousness of God's word? Uh, There's no other book like the Bible. There is uh, this book, uh, I think of those in China, you know, they ban this book. Why do they ban this book? Are they afraid that if somebody like got a hold of the Bible and started reading it, that it would like change their life or something? <laughs> Are they afraid that if, if a family got a hold of the Bible, that it would change their family? Yeah. Like if a group of people got a hold of God's Word, that it could change that community? Is that what they're afraid of? Yeah. You see, this book, there's no other book like this book. It is so powerful, and it is alive today. Uh, Isaiah, I mean, uh, Jeremiah 23, uh, Is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? If, if, it ought not to surprise us if, as we're in this meeting, that this puts some fire in our hearts towards God's word. Because His word is like a fire. It ought not to surprise us that uh, uh, His word comes down to us like a hammer that breaks our hardened hearts that breaks the rock in pieces. It ought not to surprise us that the Word of God just pierces through because the Word of God is a two-edged sword. The Word of God is powerful. There is no other book like this book. And we ought to, of course, cling to the Word of God. Uh, Do you value your Bible? I remember when Megan and I started dating, she'd write me letters. And you know, I cherished those letters. I still have those letters. 
Well, here's, and you may not have a Valentine. I read this today. Uh, you may not have a Valentine. That's okay. I didn't have a groundhog for Groundhog's Day. Uh, somebody put that uh, uh, on Facebook today. But anyhow, um, you know, it's okay. You know, okay, you don't have a Valentine. But here is God's love letter to you. Do you cherish it? Do you cling to it? Do you, how, how valuable is the Word of God to you? You take this book, you put it into a person, it's Jesus Christ. You take Jesus Christ, put it into a book, it's the Word of God. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. God's word will stand the test of time. Uh, Voltaire, who is a uh, French philosopher and, and an uh, agnostic, he, uh, he said within a hundred years the Bible will be extinct. Nobody will be reading the Bible. And uh, he uh, passed away when he died. Uh, the attendant, uh, he, uh, I can't remember the exact uh, words that he said, but he said that there is no hope for him. He knows that he's going to hell. And uh, the attendant said, I will never watch another agnostic or atheist uh, die again. I just, it just shook her to her core. And, and this uh, French philosopher Voltaire, he passed away, and a Bible society bought his house. And they began to print Bibles out of his house all the way till 2013, over a hundred years later, the Bible was being printed in his house. God's word stands. And it, you know, as it says, I believe God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And of course, God said it, that settles it. Whether you get on the board or not, but we ought to get on board with God's word. So we need to have that, that uh, uh, trembling at God's Word to feel the weight of God's Word, the seriousness of God's Word. So let's pray just right there at your seat and pray and ask God to, to help you to tremble at His Word, to have that weight of, of the truth of God's Word, that you would value it and cherish it, uh, maybe as you did when you first got saved. But let's, uh, let's pray and ask God to renew our heart for God's Word. Would you pray, Lord, I submit to the authority of God's Word tonight? Would you pray that? Father, I thank You for the salvation we have through Jesus Christ. I thank You, Lord, that I know that if I died today, I would go to heaven. Not because I'm a preacher, not because I grew up in a Christian home, but because of Your Word. As You promised in Romans 10.13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, I stake my eternal destination on Your Word. And I thank You that Your Word is truth. I thank You, Lord, that Your Word is eternal. Lord, I praise You for Your Word. And Lord, so often as I have grown up in a Christian home and Christian school and Bible college and all these things, it's so easy for me to take for granted the Bible that You've given to me. Lord, many of us, we have several copies of Your Word. Lord, some people would love to just have a page. Just have something of Your Word. Lord, I pray that You would renew in us uh, such a passion and a hunger and a thirst for Your Word. Lord, help us to, 
to be as new, newborn babes desires the Sarah milk of the word that we may grow thereby. Lord, I pray that we would tremble at your word, that we would know the weight of it. Lord, it's either uh, we can live contrary to it and face the consequences, or we can live in submission to it and receive the blessings. And so, Lord, I, along with these others, submit to whatever it is that you speak to my heart about tonight. Submit to your word. Lord, whatever you want of me, Lord, I submit to the authority of your word. Lord, have your way be done in this service that we have left here tonight. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. Please turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I was wrestling over two different passages tonight. And if this is not the passage, then in 45 minutes we'll go to the next one. No, I'm just kidding, all right? I'm just kidding. I believe this is where the Lord would have us tonight. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm thankful that I grew up in a Christian home. I'm thankful that uh, I went to Christian school all my life. I had uh, many uh, test course Bible classes. I had many verses that I needed to memorize. And we find a passage here in Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, there is a verse that I have had on many tests uh, in, uh, in school. And even more so in the test of life. But we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, I'm going to begin in verse number 30. It says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed on the day of redemption. <clears throat> this, uh, I remember going through this in Greek class and just the, 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 uh, the surety that we have of our salvation uh, because of the Holy Spirit that He has sealed us. But then that word grieve. Uh, you know, our sin, the worst thing about our sin is not what it does to us. It's not what it does to others, it's what it does to God. One of the prayers I pray is, Lord, help me to, to see my sin as hurtful to you. Lord, that it quenches you. You know, quench not the spirit. You know, grieve not the spirit. Uh, man, I'm kind of talking a little bit too much here. My wife and I, we were with a group of people, and, and, uh, and I, I don't remember what we're, you know, we're talking about, but we get back in the car and I can just tell something was wrong. You know how it is, husbands. And, uh, and I'm like, you know, are you okay? And, uh, and you know what her answer is? I'm fine, thank you. Uh, and I know she's not fine. And then we go to another group of people. And, and, uh, and I, just, I know something happened. Something where she's not the same. And we get to the other group of people. And, and, uh, uh, and then after that, we get back in the car. And I said, are you okay? And she says, no. She says, when you said such and such earlier, that hurt me. And, I, and then I look back at it, and I'm like, ah, like a guy, I wasn't even thinking. Uh, I wasn't thinking about how that would hurt her, but it did hurt her. And you know what I did? I grieved her spirit. <laughs> I quenched it. And then when we sin against God, that's what happens. We grieve His spirit. Uh, it hurts Him. It quenches His spirit. I don't want to quench the spirit of God. We're wanting to, to get revival fires started in our hearts <laughs> We don't want to have the, 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 the Spirit of God quenched or grieved. And that's the mature, the mature outlook we ought to have is about our sin, that we would hate our sin because God hates it. Uh, not just because of what it, the consequences of it and what it does to us, but what it does to Him. And uh, that's not the message, but verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And the verse that I have had on many tests, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. 
America will never be destroyed from the outside. If we falter and lose our freedoms, it is because we've destroyed ourselves. Quote, unquote, Abraham Lincoln. He realized that America is not going to come, that it's not going to fall from the enemies from without, it's going to fall from the enemies from within. And certainly we see America crumbling, not so much from the enemies from without, but the enemies that are from within. And in the evangelist class at Ambassador Baptist College, Dr. Comfort would, would tell us, uh, he'd say, the one sin that I, hold, that I see holding back, revival, holding back the power of God in our churches, is the sin of bitterness. He says, at some point in your meetings, you need to speak on this matter of bitterness because we're all dealing with it. Now, I can come in here as an evangelist, and I don't know of one single person in this room right now that's bitter. Pastor didn't say to me, all right, Tim, on Wednesday, so-and-so is going to be there, and they really need this message. Uh, we haven't even talked about any of that, all right? Okay, he can. All right. Uh, and, you know, he doesn't fill me in on all that stuff. Okay, I want you to preach on bitterness. No, this is something. If you're not dealing with something right now, just wait. Uh, at some point, you're going to need this text. Because all of us deal with these, with these issues of bitterness, of hurts in our lives. Uh, bitterness is uh, a great hindrance to revival. Someone said, to live above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with the saints we know, well, that's another story. <laughs> you know, someday we're going to be in heaven. We'll have our glorified bodies. There'll be no more sin. But, but now, we, you know, we have to deal. We're imperfect. Uh, and so this matter of bitterness is going to affect the target. Again, if you're not going through something right now, you're going to have to face this uh, here in the near future. You're going to need this, these verses. Uh, I'm reading a biography by uh, on John R. Rice and and uh, he was a great evangelist of yesteryear, and God used him tremendously uh, to bring many, many souls to Christ. And, and in the matter of revival, he was in Woodbine, Texas, and there was uh, this little country church that had some great division and great quarrels. The pastor resigned. The deacons were in fistfights in the parking lot with each other. Uh, people left that church because of just the, to the terrible spirit that was in that church. They said, we will never darken the door of that little country church again. And then the, the county uh, uh, missionary said, hey, Dr. Rice, could you come and preach, hold some revival meetings to help this church? And so he began to preach. And as, you know, they're all upset at each other. Well, as he's preaching, now they're getting upset at him, uh, getting upset at the evangelist. And one mother said, I'm going to call uh, Dr. Rice and give him a piece of my mind that, you know, that he ought not to be meddling in our affairs and he needs to get out of town. The teenage son said, Mom, you're wrong. We're not going to get right with God until we get right with each other. He says, I, for one, am going to do whatever I can to get right. The next service, there were two ladies that were uh, that were very much uh, uh, at odds with each other, and they both uh, humbled themselves and broken, and they got right with each other. Well, then that sparked others getting right with one another. Then the next night, they saw 12 people come to a saving knowledge of Christ. And then people started coming back to that church because God began to move in an unusual way. That one-week meeting turned into a whole month-long meeting of God working in a powerful way. What was the hindrance? Bitterness. Even D.L. Moody, and this is back in the 1800s, he said, the one sin I, I see holding back the power of God is an unforgiving spirit. I finished a, a book, By My Spirit, by Jonathan Goforth. So many times, uh, you know, he says, God moved in a tremendous way. But what was the hindrance was that, that, that the missionaries were bitter at each other and they had to get things right. And certainly, 
that, that is something that has gone on through the centuries, and God, of course, has it here in the Scriptures. He says, let all bitterness be put away from you. Someone said, just like with David and, and Saul and how Saul was a mighty warrior for God, and they'd sing, you know, Saul's praises, Saul has slain his thousands. Saul was a mighty, great warrior. But then they would say, David, his tens of thousands. David's an even greater warrior than Saul. And someone said it this way, adultery has slain its thousands, but bitterness, its tens of thousands. Bitterness has done more damage to the cause of Christ than adultery. And this matter of bitterness, we must get it right if we want to see God work in our lives. Uh, we see here it says, let some bitterness be put away from you. doesn't say that, does it? <laughs> now you and I wish it did. All right, God, I know that, that there's some areas that, yeah, I need not to be bitter about. But these other areas, I'm justified in it. I, I have a right to be bitter. God says, no, you don't. Based on this passage, how much bitterness does God say you can hold on to? Zero. None. You say, but so, you don't know what so-and-so did to me. You're right, I don't. But God does. And God says, you're not allowed to hold on to any bitterness. None. No bitterness. We must put that bitterness away. Occasionally, bitterness is easily spotted as with the woman that, uh, that had, uh, went to her physician was told that she had rabies. She immediately got out a pen and a pad of paper and began to write down some things. And the physician said, are you writing out your last will and testament? And she says, no, I'm writing down all the people that I'm going to go bite. Uh, she wanted to spread that to everybody else. You know, we hold on to bitterness long enough. We want everybody else to feel our bitterness. We want to spread it to everybody else. And so no one can harbor a de any degree of unforgiveness without becoming bitter. And God says you need to put that bitterness away. Uh, go over to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. Years ago, I was serving as an interim pastor, and I never want to do that again. God hasn't called me to be a pastor. He's called me to be an evangelist. And I, you know, if, again, I think I mentioned it the other night, if something's not fixed within five minutes, I just want to move on. Uh, pastors have much more patience and things and working with people, but but we were going through a, a difficult time in our church, and, and uh, there was uh, a lot of division that was coming in. And uh, the pastor that was there before, he says, Tim, I want you to stay on, kind of give the church stability. And, and so uh, I stayed on, and, and uh, I really asked, I, I did ask the deacons this. I said, uh, you know, I'll do it, but can I have Sundays off? Uh, they weren't too keen on that idea. But uh, anyhow, I, you know, here I am, a young preacher, and they were upset at the previous pastors, some families, and then they started turning their attention to me. And they would spread some lies about me, sending emails and different things, and, and it was all lies. Like, it wasn't true. Now, if they wanted to come up to me, I could give them some dirt on my life, all right? I'm prideful, I'm selfish, I'm lazy, you know? I mean, I can give them some dirt on my life, but this other stuff, it wasn't true. And so they were causing some division, and and finally we uh, we had to have it out with them and just try to you know address the, the issue, and uh, and this best as uh, you know and they said well uh, you know this this uh, pastor that you're having coming in that you're flying in from a different state it's all a smokescreen. Who you really want to be the next pastor is this preacher so and so, and it just floored me. I'm like what in the world? I said that guy hasn't even been mentioned. 
And the person that we're flying in here in a few weeks, that family, we believe is going to be the next pastor. And he was. And, uh, and, I'm, you know, and I'm like, where in the world did you get this? And, uh, and as best as I can figure out digging in there, they had done something very kind to that certain preacher, and that preacher was not grateful. And they let that bitterness just grow for years to where now it's not just affecting them, their family, now it's affecting the entire church. It wasn't, it wasn't true. They had all of these, these preconceived ideas of what was going on. Look there in James chapter 3 and, and verse number 14. It says, But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. You see, when you and I become bitter, it clouds our thinking. We don't see clearly. You see, this, they, they, uh, th- what they were thinking was not true. They were lying against the truth because they had that bitterness. You see, sin dematures you. Sin dematures you. At one point, these families that were causing the problems, there used to be deacons in the church. There used to be spiritual leaders in the church. There were people that, that I, you know, in the beginning, I had a huge respect for, for them. But as I got to know them, that respect just continued to go down, 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 down. Why? Because of bitterness. And it, and it does strike a fear in my heart that I could, you know, as a mature Christian, uh, if you will, that I could let bitterness in my heart and that it would demature me and, and I would go down as well. Sin clouds our thinking. Bitterness believes what it wants to believe. He says, glory not and lie not against the truth. Where does this come from? Verse 15, this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For envying and strife is, there's confusion and every evil work. That's what it was happening in our church. And when the next pastor came, they began to put their target toward him. And uh, he dealt with it, and eventually they left the church. And when they left the church, it was like a brand new church. Uh, just a breath of fresh air. And uh, I wish that they had gotten things right and, uh, and gotten right with God and right with others. And this matter of bitterness, oh, how it's done so much damage to the cause of Christ. This is not something God wants. No, it's earthly, it's sensual, devilish. The devil wants to divide you. The devil's, uh, again, he's after us. He wants to divide. And, and, uh, but the wisdom, verse 17, that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, Easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make make peace. As I'm reading that, I think of churches. Some churches, you know what they have? They have strife, envy. But there's other churches I'm in. Oh, there is that that, uh, uh, peaceable, gentle spirit that's full of mercy and good fruits. And what a wonderful place it is. When you have a congregation that is spiritually focused, this uh, th- this uh, uh, matter of bitterness is a very big deal. It's lying against the truth. Uh, and then go back to Ephesians chapter four. Now in Colossians chapter three and verse nineteen, it says, "Husbands love your wives and be not bitter against them." Now we might want to say it: uh, Wives love your husbands and be not bitter against them. But God is calling us out, husbands, to not be bitter against our wives. Uh, When you are not on speaking terms with your mate, you're not on speaking terms with God. 
And so often, instead of home being where the heart is, home is where the hurt is because of bitterness. Again, your relationship with your spouse is under attack. And we are called to not be bitter against our wives, but to love our wives. Two years ago, I was in a service, and this pastor preached a tremendous message on submission. Uh, not to the, the, the ladies, it was just a guy's session. And he asked this question. He says, do not raise your hand. He says, but do you, does your wife submit to you? Do you have a wife that submits to you? Now, we all have a problem with submission. We all do. We've got that rebellious nature. I've got a lot of rebellion within me, and uh, it's a lot of stubbornness in me. And, and I, many times, I don't want to submit. We all have a problem with submission. Now, think about what God has asked your wife to do. <laughs> to be submissive, to be under you. You think of it in my own life. What has God asked my wife Megan to do? We're in a different church almost every week. We're traveling all across the country. I mean, she's, God's given her great grace, and it takes great grace to be an evangelist's wife. It takes great grace to be a pastor's wife, uh, you know, to be a missionary's wife. But you think of, of what, our, what God has asked our wives to do. And what Jesus is to the church, I am to be to my wife. What Jesus is to the church, you, husband, are to be that to your wife. Now, what is Jesus to the church? He's a spiritual leader. So, you and I, as husbands, ought to be, we're called to spiritually lead our wives. You say, well, my wife's more spiritual than I am. Oh yeah, I forgot about that exception in God's Word. Uh, oh, my wife, she spends more time in prayer than I do, so you know I'm really not supposed to lead her because she's the one that spends more time in prayer. She spends more time in God's Word. Oh yeah, I forgot about those exceptions. No, God doesn't give us an exception in that. We're to lead our wives. And, and God did not do this, uh, you know, the matter of submission. And, and of course, in Ephesians chapter 5, we have that, verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. It's a, both of us are to submit. And then, wives, submit yourselves and your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now, God did not impose this, or God did not do this to impose, for us to impose our will upon our wives. No, God's put us in this position to impose His will upon the both of us, upon you and your wife. And, and so it is not in her nature to submit. She does this by her will. And if you don't have a, uh, a wife that, that doesn't submit, there's a problem. Uh, you know, he, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 7, says that we are to uh, dwell with them according to knowledge. We're to study our wives. Uh, we are to be a, a scientist studying our wife. And when a wife doesn't submit, she has a spiritual problem. But who's to be the spiritual leader? The husband. It falls back on us. She, don't, she won't submit because she's afraid. She doesn't trust you. You've done something that has broken her trust. You've given her and showing her a wrong version of God. 1 John 4, 16 and 17, love imparts trust. And that trust can be broken and, and, uh, and you've got to build that trust back to where she will submit once again. We are to spiritually lead and disciple our wives. We are to be trustworthy. 
I am to help make the judgment seat of Christ. When Megan stands before the judgment seat of Christ, I need to help make that as best as I can for her. That she would, uh, that she would come forth uh, as gold. That she would have that gold, silver, and precious stone. And so we're to spiritually lead and disciple our wives. And again, our homes are under attack. And this matter of bitterness gets, breaks in there and it, and it uh, separates us. We need to get those things right and humble ourselves before one another. There is, no, there is nobody that I've hurt more in this world than that woman a couple of doors down. There's nobody I have. I've, there have been so many times that I've had to go to her and ask her for her forgiveness. And, uh, and when's the last time you've done that, man, uh, husband? When's the last time you've done that? I mean, we, there's so many I've had to do it this year and, and uh, I'd have to humble myself. Hey, I've got to get this thing right with you. Now, my wife and I, we know that each other, we're nothing without Christ. We have no righteousness, all right? Uh, we are nothing without Him. Uh, she's a mess, I'm a mess apart from Christ. And uh, so we know each other pretty well in that. And so this matter of bitterness, we need to get that right with our spouses. We need to make sure that we're walking. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Amos 3.3. We need to be in agreement with each other. We need to be in agreement with God. And so we see here that we need to put off this bitterness in Ephesians chapter 3. We're to put off the bitterness towards man. But if you were to, if God were to reveal to you my heart tonight, reveal to you my life, and uh, this matter of bitterness is not a main thing that I struggle with in my life. I've already mentioned to you uh, the other night that it, fear is one of them. But the matter of bitterness, I get along with people pretty well. I'm pretty easygoing. There's been some people that I've had a hard time with. But if God were to reveal to you my life, and show you the bitterness that I've had the most against, it would show that the bitterness I've had the most against is God. You can have bitterness against fellow man, but there's some I believe here tonight that would have bitterness against God. Now, I, it boggles my mind, other than the, the wickedness of my heart, why I would ever be bitter against God. When nobody loves me more. Nobody's more behind me. Nobody cares for me more than Him. Sometimes I get so overwhelmed by the love of God. I think about my, the love that my parents have for me and others have for me and the love that my wife has for me. And yet all of that, God loves me even more. He wants what's best for me. And He's got the wisdom. He knows what is best. I don't have all wisdom. He does. He knows. He sees the entire picture. I only see this little piece of the puzzle. He knows all of those things. I think of Naomi and Ruth, and they're in the book of Ruth, and here's Naomi. Her name means pleasant one. And yet, uh, after all these things that seem to be against her, she changes her name from Naomi. She says in Ruth 1.20, and she said to them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, or bitter, for the Almighty had dealt very bitterly with me. And I want to say to Naomi, now we've read through the book of Ruth. We see the whole picture. I want to say to Naomi, just hold on, Naomi. <laughs> Just wait. Trust God. He's going to provide here, Ruth. He's going to provide the kinsman redeemer. I mean, God, God's going to take care of you, Naomi. You're, you, Ruth is going to be the grandmother to King David, going to be in the lineage of Christ. And I mean, there's so many blessings. Oh, Naomi, just trust God. He sees the whole picture. And I believe God wants to say that to us tonight as well. Just trust Him. He sees the whole picture. You think of Joseph. 
uh, there in the Old Testament and how Joseph had one thing after another after another against him, being falsely accused, being turned and, uh, back by, uh, uh, by his brothers and all these things. And yet, at the end of it, what do you see him doing? You meant it for evil, but God, he meant it for good. And God used him in a tremendous way to help uh, uh, there save Egypt through the, all the, the drought. And so the same thing is true in your life and in mine. God sees the whole picture. We can trust Him. One of my evangelist friends, uh, he's in heaven now, his name was Reuben Ewart. Reuben Ewart uh, was uh, invited to preach at a church, and, and uh, it was about a 12-hour drive, and he preached all day at that church. And, and uh, that uh, night, the pastor, he, well, he got a hotel that Saturday night and then preached all day uh, that next morning and, and evening. And, and then uh, the pastor gives him an envelope, and, and uh, he gets in his car, and he's going to drive a couple of hours down the road to try to get back to his home and and uh, he gets out that envelope, and, uh, and he sees that it's just $20. And he's like, this doesn't even pay for my gas. This doesn't pay for the hotel. And he starts griping and complaining and murmuring like, you know, we never do, right? Uh, you know, he's just griping and complaining. And God then just smites his heart with conviction. And just like with Exodus chapter 16, uh, as they were murmuring against Moses, he says, your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. They were complaining to Moses, but ultimately their complaint, what they were complaining to was God. God, you're not going to take care of me. God, you don't care for us. Oh, yes, he does care. Uh, yes, he's going to meet your needs. And my friend Ruben Ewart says, I got my heart was so smitten with, with, with conviction because God did promise to meet my needs. And we're, we were drilled in the evangelist class. You look to God to meet your needs, not to individuals or churches. You'll be disappointed with some of those, but you won't be disappointed with God. Another man, name of Don Sisk, was a missionary for many years. Uh, and on a Wednesday night, uh, he had come to preach at this church and, and was as his custom when the offering plate was, was gone by, he put a $10 bill in that offering plate. And so he preaches that night. And they, uh, uh, at the end of the night, the pastor gives him an envelope. They get back in their car and begin to drive off. He and Mrs. Sisk, and they open up the envelope. And you know what was in there? His $10 bill. Uh, that was it. And his wife said, see, honey, if you would have given more, you would have had a bigger love offering. I'm like, what a great attitude. You know, God's going to meet our needs. God's the one that's going to provide. God's going to provide for Naomi. God's going to provide for you. You've got to trust him. You've got to trust his wisdom. Trust his plan, his purpose. And, and maybe we won't know all the different things. I think of Corey Timboon that... Uh, that to mention the thing of, uh, oh man, I don't know, it's not really cro as a crochet. Uh, I don't know all my knitting things, but you have the picture in the front, but all in the back, it's a mess, all right? Uh, and she brought that out. You know, in our lives, we see all of this, but you know what God sees? God sees that picture. He sees the whole thing. The same thing is in your life. God sees all that you're going through. God knows everything about your life, and, uh, and you can trust Him. And so He says, Put off that bitterness. Put off the bitterness against man. Put off the bitterness against God. Because if you don't, it's progressive. If you don't take care of sin, or as Barney Fye says, nip it in the bud, if you don't take care of it when it's small, it's just going to keep growing. We've got to keep short accounts with God. And if you don't get, get, uh, get rid of this bitterness, it progresses to wrath. Wrath has the idea of heat connected with it. It's that slow burn inside. It's when you begin to meditate and think about those things and it provides us a bittersweet pleasure. Then it progresses to anger. Anger has the idea of being outward and open. 
You may not know how irritable you were until something set you off. Another, and then it progresses to clamor. That's anger verbalized. Now the poison of bitterness has so corrupted you that it overflows through the tongue. And the Bible says that our tongue is a world of iniquity full of deadly poison. Then it goes to evil speaking. Words are spoken which you would never imagine that you would utter. And then it goes to malice. And that's where you desire to physically hurt somebody. You know, our, uh, our prisons are full of people that did not get their bitterness set right. They let that bitterness continue to grow and grow and grow until it turned into malice. Don't ever be deceived as to the depths to which Satan can take you when you yield him ground through failing to forgive. So you need to put it away. But then you need to be kind. It says there in verse 32, and be ye kind one to another. One of my coworkers, one of my uh, cousins had a coworker that she was just really at odds with. And uh, just uh, they weren't getting along. And, and uh, she thought about that verse, be ye kind. And so she found out what her favorite candy bar was. The next day on her desk, she had that favorite candy bar on her desk. And, and eventually they became friends. <laughs> uh, and they realized, you know, we really don't need to be at odds with each other. It's amazing what kindness can do. Now, if anybody in this world that ought to be kind, it ought to be us Christians. We ought to show kindness to others. Be ye kind one to another. 1 Corinthians 13.4, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. 1 Peter 3.8, Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. In Colossians 3.2, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and long-suffering. And so, uh, you know, and we're commanded to love our enemies. We're to be kind to one to another. Uh, Luke 6.35 says, But love ye your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping nothing for nothing again. And your, word, and your reward shall be great. And so we need to be kind. But then he says you need to forgive. I forgive you are the words that a guilty conscience needs to hear. Uh, we need to forgive. Now, forgiveness is not an emotion. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Uh, you know, the uh, only one can truly forgive and forget, and that is God. Uh, he can forgive and forget. You know, those memories will come back, but that means you're going to choose to mentally, against mentally reviewing those and using those again. Uh, forgiveness is, is a choice. It's a deliberate, you owe me, you, treading up the you owe me list. There was a pastor who I felt had done some wrong to me, and I could just get that, I knew that root of bitterness was, was getting in me, and it was springing up. Uh, that's the other passage I was thinking about this, this evening, but that root of bitterness that can often go undetected, uh, and, and, this, uh, and I was just like, man, I'm really, this is really bothering me, what he did to me. And so I went, got on my knees and wrote down the things that I was upset about, took it before the Lord in prayer, and I shredded it up, threw it in the, uh, in the trash can, and never to use it again. And when, when I'm friends with that pastor, everything's fine. There's no bitterness in my heart towards him. And, and that's what we ought to be like Christ and forgive. You choose. It is a deliberate decision. It is a choice. Now, in some cases, this is very difficult. Some things are very surface, like you drive your car, fuel light comes on. All right, got to pull over, <laughs> get some gas. But the other one, you got the check engine light on. Now you got you got some things you need to work on. And uh, it may be that tonight the fuel light comes on. You know what? I need to just get some things right. Other, other, some of us, it might be, oh, the check engine light's on. 
This is going to take some, as it were, spiritual surgery. God's had to take me through some spiritual surgery in my life to get some deep-rooted sins uh, out of my life, that cancer of sin. And if I wouldn't have gone through the spiritual surgeries God has taken me through, I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be in evangelism. And you just got to trust God that He's going to take you through some spiritual surgeries. And so, a couple of points. Uh, private sins we dealt with privately. Personal sins we dealt with personally. And then public sins we dealt with publicly. Now, don't rehearse the details once the case has been settled. You don't bring it up again. Uh, one man was talking to another man, and, and he says, every time my wife and I get in an argument, she gets historical. He says, oh, you mean hysterical. And he says, no, I mean historical. She brings up every wrong thing I've ever done. <laughs> Don't do that. Uh, I'm, I'm so thankful my wife has never said, hey, remember when you did this? I'm so thankful she's never done that. Maybe because she's heard this before. But, uh, uh, you know, don't, don't rehearse the details once the case has been settled. Don't curse it. Uh, uh, this isn't the time to pray in precatory prayers. The person that you're bitter against, vengeance his mind, say it to the Lord. Don't nurse it. Uh, don't keep holding on to it. Just surrender that to the Lord. Get rid of that. Just surrender it to the Lord. But a key to staying free from bitterness, and I believe this is a secret of staying free from bitterness, and that's to pray for him. To pray for him. Greater love with no man than this than a man lay down his life for his friends. One of the greatest ways you can show love to somebody is to have a consistent prayer life for them. There's someone that you're better against. You now have been given the ministry of intercession. You need to be praying for them. That's something that's kind. That's showing love to them, is to pray for them. There are people that I've been at odds with, and God has had me pray and I have had to pray for months before all of that bitterness, all those thoughts just went away. Uh, I mean, even uh, uh, the people I was mentioning earlier about in that church, uh, I could see that bitterness welling up within me. I'm like, you know, I've, I've got to pray for them. And this is how uh, uh, Job 42.10, And the Lord turned back the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. It is impossible to harbor resentment toward anyone when you pray for him or her consistently. And so pray. Pray for that person that you're at odds with. Pray for that person that you have bitterness towards. And, and, and when we do that, what are we doing? We are displaying the character of Christ. Now this verse 32, I mean, it's been such a wonderful verse. I mean, Valentine's Day, uh, all of these things. I mean, I've, I remember this verse uh, during this time. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. But then I started meditating on it. I started studying this out. This is a powerful verse. Even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you, what has Christ forgiven you for? What has He done in your life? I mean, every time I go to Him, He always forgives. He's promised. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He says, the same way I have forgiven you, you need to forgive others. Wow. What a, what a responsibility. And yet when we're not doing that, we're being disobedient. This is a command. And so Christ, uh, Christ of course, came to, to uh, pay the debt of sin which we owed. We're all sinners. We've all sinned against God. Sin separates us from God. And Christ paid the debt which He did not owe. He paid our debt. He put our sins upon Himself. And, and by shedding His blood upon the cross and dying for our sins, and, and then He conquered the grave through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we can have eternal life through Him. 
Jesus Christ paid the price for all of our sins that we had sinned against Him. Now, I don't know how much of the thought, the bitter uh, biblical thought this is, but I thought to myself in my own life personally, what could Christ be bitter with me about? A promise that I made that I didn't keep? Uh, some things that I've done that He said don't do? Things that I should have done that He said to do? Uh, I'm sure that He could rack up a lot of things if He were just like us in that matter. But, but then I think about what could have Christ been bitter about when He was here on this earth before the cross and the resurrection? You say, somebody made fun of me. Somebody embarrassed me before others. Okay, but not like Christ. Christ was mocked. He was made fun of before others. You say, somebody... Uh, I had a friend that just turned their back on me when I really needed them. They, they, they stabbed me in the back. Okay, but not like Christ. Someone uh, uh, falsely accused me of something. Okay, but not like Christ. Have you ever been spit upon? I have. It's not fun. But not like Christ. Here was one who was blasphemed, was betrayed by 30 pieces of silver. His closest friends forsook him in his darkest hours. He was, of course, falsely accused, and people treated him wrongly, even though he did no wrong. He was absolutely innocent. It was an unfair trial. He died not for his friends, he died for his enemies. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then he was forsaken by God when he bore our sins. So how did Christ forgive? By being willing to suffer for the sins of others. He was willing to suffer for the sins of others. But you and I, we say, don't, don't make me do that. And we make ourselves better than our Lord. He, he, uh, uh, we resent uh, uh, suffering for the sins of others. But He willingly went through that. Then how did He forgive? Number two, by praying for His enemies. Again, once when that bitterness, you have that hurt, you've now been given the ministry of intercession. You've got to pray for that person. And you are best qualified to pray. Because you know the truth about your enemy. You've been given the ministry of intercession. And then number three, how did he forgive? By desiring reconciliation rather than retaliation. Now, not all will be reconciled to Christ, right? But that's what he desires. He desired restoration rather than retaliation. You see, there are steps to the yielding. First there was the cup. Then there was the cross. Then there was the crown. There's no victory unless there's surrender. There's no joy unless there is grief. There's no revival until we yield ourselves. How do we do that? Christ yielded to the Father and trusted Him. Christ trusted God with the process. The process was suffering. I believe sometimes, uh, John Getch said this, he said the, choice, uh, the, the common theme I see in God's choicest servants is suffering. <laughs> we want to know Him in the power of His resurrection, but then Christ says, huh? I want you to know me in the fellowship of my sufferings. In closing, I think the most powerful illustration uh, uh, that I've read about this is Corey Ten Boom. Here she was. Uh, uh, her family was keep, keeping uh, some of the Jewish uh, uh, people in their home, and, and the Nazis came in. Of course, 
uh, came in and, and killed most of her family right uh, uh, a little bit after that, and they took them, uh, took her and her sister to a consecration camp and uh, stripped them of their clothes. And, and she says, I, uh, me and my sister Betsy were, were standing there yeah, uh, just naked, and she says, I, I said, Betsy, I can't do this. I can't go through this. But she says, then I was reminded of Christ on the cross who died upon that cross hanging naked there for me. And she says, if Christ went through that for me, I can go through this for Him. Uh, God used her in, a, in an amazing way to bring many others to Christ. And, and a couple of days before the war was ended, uh, there was a uh, something happened where she was able to be released. But Betsy died. All of her family died during that time. She eventually went on to Corey Tenboon to uh, give her testimony to churches across the world. And, and uh, she was at a church service in Munich. And she says, and I saw this man. I knew who he was. I immediately recognized him as one of the guards at Ravensbrook. And this man came up after the service. And he says, how grateful I am for your, for your message. And, and, uh, and, to say, you know, as, uh, uh, and to think, as you say, that he has washed my sins away. I, he says, I too have come to know Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I've asked God to give me somebody that I could come back and ask forgiveness for. And so he went to go put his hand to shake her hand. But she says, I felt no love for that man. Only hatred. She says, even as those angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? I said, Lord Jesus, please forgive me and help me to forgive him. Give me your forgiveness through me. Do it through me. And she says, as I lifted up my hand, it just like a Christ's love just went from my arm right into his hand, into him. And I could say, I forgive you, brother. You see, it was only through Christ that she could do this. And that's the same thing with us. How are we going to do this? It's going to be through Christ. This isn't natural. It's supernatural. I think the ultimate question is this. Is God bigger than your hurt? Or are you going to allow your hurt to be bigger than your God? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. With heads bowed and eyes closed. I don't know where you're at tonight. Maybe you're going through something that's pretty difficult. You say, preacher, God has spoken to my heart tonight and I needed to hear this message. Preacher, God has spoken to my heart tonight and I needed to hear this message. If that's you, just slip your hand. 